Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. Welcome back, everyone, to the State of America podcast. I am your host, David, and I am here with my other host, Ian Rice. Ian, how are you doing tonight, sir? I am fantastic. How are you, sir? I can't complain. I am. Uh, I've had a, a busy day at work and uh, came home, and we're going to talk about some Black Crows uh, with uh, with uh, our first guest of the podcast. So I'm, I'm excited about yes. that. Me too. I'm very excited about this. Um, so we're not, we're not going to talk a whole lot beforehand we're just going to go to our guest uh, before we do though i do want to tell you to follow us on twitter at state of america and on instagram at state of america podcast and like our page on facebook state of america podcast and if you get a chance go to itunes and leave us a uh, five-star rating hopefully and write a review for us that will um, greatly help us with getting the word out uh, as ian and i say usually at the beginning of every podcast we're just blown away by your support and uh, we're still having people uh, wanting to be on the show and be guests, and uh, we're we're keeping a list of that. And so, at some point, we're going to get around to you. Uh, it may take us a while, but uh, Ian, I, I'm still blown away every day. Aren't you? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable the the outpouring from the uh, Black Crows community. Um, still, as each day goes on, I mean, we, you know, we, I, 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 it's unbelievable. I can't thank everybody enough, and I will continue to thank everybody. Um, and I, I appreciate everything you've done for us so far. And Ian, you've also started a YouTube channel. Why don't you tell everybody where they how they can find that on YouTube? It's just uh, you know YouTube.com slash State of America. Got some great uh, videos up there right now. We'll be adding stuff to it constantly. Um, right now, there's a lot of uh, obscure Rich and Mark and. Federale and all kinds of stuff up there, but I will be adding um, many, many things over the course of the next uh, weeks and days and months. So please check it out, and I hope you enjoy it. Who knows? One day we may put a video of us doing the podcast up there, and y'all can see how we both have a face made for radio. Yeah, I keep threatening to do it, but I uh, never get around to it. But I do, I do record the video on every one of these. So, all right. So when I started having an idea about this podcast, and and reached out to Ian probably back in November, I think, and uh, asked him if he wanted to, to go in and be my partner on this. And thankfully he said yes. I started, uh, uh, certain people knew that that I was going to be doing it, and uh, I had our first guest on my other podcast, Digital Kill the Radio Star, uh, because he works for a, uh, a chair, nonprofit organization called Nucci Space, in Athens, Georgia, which is there to help uh, musicians with mental illness and to prevent suicide. And I had done some stuff for the Black by, Drive-By Truckers on my podcast, and they are very closely related with this uh, organization. And so they were having their annual big uh, weekend fundraiser, and he asked if he could come on and um, talk about that. And I said, sure, and we'll talk about the Drive-By Truckers. Well, Dave and I just really hit it off. We kind of saw everything or heard everything the same in music and uh become friends and text each other back and forth. And I had him back on my other podcast to talk about uh, what we both think is one of the most underrated, underappreciated Tom Petty albums, Echo. Got great response from that. 
And uh, Dave was like, hey, man, when you get that uh, Black Crows podcast going, I'd like to come on. And uh, so Ian and I decided it's time to start uh, having some guests on. And one of the things we do want to do often is have uh, fans of the band on. And so we're going to call this uh, uh, series Tall Tales. And uh, so this is going to be volume one of that. And so if you're, if you're listening and think, hey, I would like to do that, uh, I think it would be fun. Um, this is kind of how it's going to be when we have somebody on for something like that. Now, we are going to have other listeners on for to talk about specific albums, specific shows, or whatever, but this will give you a good gauge of, of kind of how this series is going to be. So it's, uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce our first ever guest on State of America, my friend and a great Black Crows fan, Dave Chamberlain. Dave, how are you? Good evening, guys. I didn't even know it was going to be called Tall Tales. I'm even more excited now. It's a great name. <laughs> That's um, old Dave. Old I'm Dave. honored to be on. This is this is cool that you guys are doing this. It's like uh, the message boards are brought to life in the era of the podcast. I love it. It re- it really is, and that's kind of the way this thing is going. Uh, you know, you you know, I've been texting you about this podcast for you know a while, and you knew I was really excited about it, and. Ian ex- was excited about it, but we just never could have never could have dreamed it's doing the numbers it's doing. Yeah, that's really cool that you've found an audience this quick, and uh, I think it just you know it just speaks to how powerful this music is. All these years later, that uh, there's still a lot of people out there that uh, don't want to talk about it and, and share their experiences, and um, it's just it's cool that you guys had the idea to to give people an outlet and. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm I'm really uh, honored and, and psyched to be the first the first one on. Yes, I know you're exactly right in terms of it being. Uh, I think a lot of people are looking for something related to this band that is more positive. There seems to be a lot of a lot of people, and it's only a small minority of the uh, of the fan base. But their their voice is loud a lot of the times, and they're very negative about a lot of things. So. We're trying to stay away from that, and so far it seems to be working. Yeah, I noticed that. I, I appreciate, you know, I, I think that sometimes on message boards and anonymous comments, people can, you know, complain about all kinds of stuff. So I definitely have noticed you guys are trying to keep it out of the ditch, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it is a, it's a good idea. Hey, speaking of uh, keeping it out of the ditch, let's put it in the ditch for a second. You're a huge Neil Young fan. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you about the uh, live Tuscaloosa album that came out um, last Friday because it would have been part of the what the in the ditch era of um, of Neil Young. Sure. Yeah. What do you What are your, yeah, do you Yeah. Have you listened to it? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't get the vinyl yet. I was kind of wanted to check it out on Spotify, and uh, and I did. I've listened to it through a couple times, and um, I mean. As far as I'm concerned, any official releases from that era, I mean, I can't have enough versions of like Lookout Joe in uh, Alabama and, and then the, the more like the Harvest tunes that they did with, uh, with the full band and the pedal steel and all that. Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Have you checked it out? I listened to it probably twice through today at work and uh, I really liked it. Uh, time fades away stuck out uh, to me uh, initially, and then uh, "Don't Be Denied" sounded really good. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, those two absolutely. I think they were both. I mean, I've heard both those songs. You know, they were on the "Time Fades Away" official album, but they're they're definitely a little bit different. Um, you know, each version, and they're always welcome as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah, I've uh, I've picked it up, but I have yet to listen to it uh, shamefully. So I'm looking forward to it. Now I'm even looking forward to it more the way you guys are talking about it. So well, you yeah, do. it looks like you've got a Neil shirt on there, Ian. I do. Oh, you <laughs> oh you can see us, Dave. I can. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't know if you if you could or not. We're it's first time doing a. This doesn't sound good. It's first time doing a three way like this. <laughs> but yeah, now I am wearing really my time bitch. fades away shirt. You're correct. Yes. Um, so, Dave, let me uh, take a second to let everybody. Um, I want you to um, kind of explain to everybody what you do for a living because I think uh, people that are listening to this are going to uh, probably be interested in it because they're big music fans. Yeah, sure. Thanks for, for the opportunity. Um, like David said, I work at a, uh, a nonprofit musicians resource center in, in Athens, Georgia. And uh, our mission is to prevent suicide with the focus on musicians. Um, and the way that we do that is we, uh, we maintain a resource center and, and practice space. And then we help people get resources to uh, counseling, psychiatrists, dentists, eye doctors, whatever the case might be. And, and, um, and then, you know, people come to us and they don't, if they're, you know, they've been practicing there with their band and if, you know, life takes a, a, a wrong turn for them and, and they otherwise maybe would just avoid facing the problem. It's much easier if they're already comfortable getting a cup of coffee at our little coffee bar and get to know the staff. It's way easier for them to ask for help and to ask about our mental health resources and, and then, you know, if they don't have insurance, they don't have money, we partner with people um, in our community that, that want to help people out. And so um, it was started in honor of a, of, a, of a University of Georgia student and musician who took his life, um, Nucci Phillips, and his mother, Linda, um, started this in his memory and then also to help other people who might find themselves in a similar spot to, to hopefully help bridge that gap and, and help people uh, be proactive about their mental health. So where can where can people go to online to find out more about it? You can go to www.nuchi.org and nuchi is spelled n u c i. So nuchi.org and uh, feel free to shoot me an email if you want if you have specific questions, you can get me at dave at nuchi.org and again it's just n u c i. That and, sounds fantastic. That's really an uh, uh, a wonderful thing you put together. That's that's great. Athens is a pretty small town, but we've had great, you know, it's got a great musical history, and, and the drive-by truckers are still really active in supporting us. Um, Patterson Hood and his wife served on our board before they moved out to Oregon, and uh, Widespread Panic partners with us, and um, we did a, a, a contest with them called Rock and Raffle, and they raffle off... Um, um, the, the most recent one they did for five bucks an entry, people could get uh, themselves and a, and, and a plus one to every show on widespread pandemics on 2019 tour. So wow. we've got really great support by some of the big heavy hitters that, that began in Athens. So, um, so you know, if anybody's a, a panic fan or a drive by truckers fan, um, check us out. Both bands that honestly have a history with the crows for sure. Yeah. So uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was in Memphis, uh, I think the Brotherhood opened for Panic at the Orpheum Theater, and I think Chris came out and sang um, a couple of songs with them. And of course, uh, being from Georgia and honestly kind of coming out and getting big about the same time, I know they have, 
have done some dates together. And then, you know, the truckers uh, had that tour with Robert Randolph. And then yep. they also, I saw them on another tour open for, I saw the truckers with Isbell open for the Crows at Mud Island in Memphis. Uh, actually, one of my favorite uh, Black Crow shows. But, yeah, that's cool. And like you said, Patterson Hood is really involved in it. And they have a, uh, a big fundraiser every year in February uh, for that. Well, Dave, the the topic at hand is the Black Crows, and uh, I know you're a uh, you're a big fan, and I see you on a lot of the Facebook pages and stuff like that, and you send me a lot of text about them. Um, so, why don't you tell everybody how you initially, you know, got into them and your first exposure to them? Uh, well, I like most people my age. I think I mean I'm 41, so like when Shake Your Money Maker came out, I was in like you know, sixth, seventh grade. And so, you know, just she talks to angels and jealous again and hard to handle. And, you know, all that stuff was on the radio at the time. And, you know, when you're that age, you kind of just listen to whatever's on the pop channel or whatever. And it's funny to think that they were on like the top 40, you know, at the time. And so that's my first exposure to them. And, you know, at some point, I think I bought Shake Your Money Maker with my lawn mowing money. And, and at one point too, is weird. I, as I was going back through this, I, I remember I traded that CD to a friend for Joe Walsh's greatest hits, which seems really odd. <laughs> <laughs> not, a, not a terrible thing to trade for, but I, I still think I'd prefer Shake Your Money Maker. But <laughs> I know. I think I just got tired of hearing the same songs over and over, maybe. And, you know, I don't know. That was, it was, I went back and got it again eventually. But, um, and then, you know, just moving through into like, I remember seeing the Remedy video as I got a little older and they really, you know, like I was really into at that point, like classic rock stuff. And so, you know, like the Chris wearing the bell bottoms and the pot leaves on his pants at the MTV awards and, and the whole remedy video and all that was just, that kind of struck my eye. You know, it just didn't look like anything else at the time with, you know, like, you know, Guns N' Roses and Nirvana. And, and then like, you know, these guys looked like they were right out of, you know, like, sticky fingers era rolling stones or something and it was like oh man it's something it just it's always that era has always really spoken to me so you know i think that i think that they just got under my skin at that point yeah i mean that was definitely we kind of have a, a similar path on that one because it was definitely i remember seeing the remedy video and and that whole their whole look at that time and it was it just because it was miles off from really anything else i had ever seen visually it, i mean I, i'm relatively close in age to you i'm 38 so you know i was you know it, it was mind-blowing to me and that's really what drew me in like like you i had heard you know the radio stuff off the first record but it was the second record that really drew me in well, yeah the, the 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 thing that amazes me is when moneymaker came out you basically had well when moneymaker came out you had you still were at the tail end of the glam mu- movement but when uh southern harmony came out you were really at the tail end of the glam music uh, movement and everything else was either turning into like hip hop or grunge or, you know, REM was getting big. And then here's this band that sounds like they were, it's 1975 and they defied all, all of that and, you know, still put out those first two albums, which are probably their more straight ahead rock albums. Nobody else was doing that. So I feel like, there were people that wanted that kind of music, and when they finally, it's kind of like people are doing with Greta Van Fleet right now. Although I think Greta Van Fleet's a big ripoff, but people, <laughs> people, people want that classic '70s sound so bad that they're willing, you know, ju- you know, Gre- Greta Van Fleet's selling out 
Like they're selling out arenas in New Orleans, you know, 12, 12,000 yeah. seat arenas, you know, multiple nights. But I feel like there was such a thirst for that. And they were the band that came along that sounded the close to it. And everybody just jumped on the train. Yeah. I mean, uh, I also think it, what was true of them at the time was uh, a lot of bands like to like you to perceive them as rebellious or going against the grain. But really, they don't like even like Guns N' Roses. Like when they first came out, maybe so. But then they became this gigantic machine, and that you know was ultimately, you know, corporate in a way. And I don't think the Black Crows ever really went down that down that road. And they they did exactly what they wanted, uh, you know, pretty much right from the start. And that's that's one thing that always drew them drew drew me to them. Yeah, and I and I think to speak to that, like I mean, they definitely weren't. I, you know, they weren't on the radio a lot, but I feel like people always are going to find, there must be something about, especially like, you know, like young, like when you're like a teenage boy and getting into your twenties, like that stuff, I think everybody goes through that phase. Like I work with, at my job at Mucci space, I work with uh, some volunteers. And so every year I get 18, 19, 20 year old college students and, and all of them still like listen to Led Zeppelin and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's like, there's still there's something of that sort of 70s classic rock swagger that I think you know all all uh, teenage and 20 year old boys and, and young dudes are, are going to always be there's always going to be a spot for that. It's timeless. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. And I I always I've always said this about that period of music. I've never seen another time period of music. Let's say like 68 to 75 or so like that has has the longevity that that period of music has i mean uh it's 40 odd years later for some of this stuff and people are still finding it it's still relevant in a lot of in a lot of ways and i think that's fantastic yeah right you're like they always say like you're supposed to like rebel against your parents music but like my dad was playing like ccr albums and stuff and i'm like i'm still i can i never get tired of that no definitely not you mentioned that Remedy uh, performance on MTV. That's one of my all-time favorite Crows performances. There was so oh, there was yeah. so much swagger on that stage that night, you know. Yeah, no doubt. I got I got to think the adrenaline had to just be through the roof to to come out and open that show. Well, that and that's a show that you had Guns N' Roses at. You had Metallica. You know, at the time, those two biggest bands in the world, um, and you just come out there and go. We don't need any bells or whistles. We're who, we are who we are, and I love you know when Chris before they start you know a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, and then you know he's in his he's in one of his pimp outfits with the pot leaves, and uh, you know Ford is just looking cool and playing you know awesome. But I tell you, one of my favorite people to watch whenever the Crows play is I love watching Steve Gorman play the drums. Me too. He is, yeah. He man, he. I don't. I don't see how his drum kit makes it through a show because he hits hard. He's got a. What they say, he's got a heavy left hand. No doubt. Yeah, he is. He, he always seems to be kind of like mouthing along to something too. Like he, he looks like he, he's. You know, I don't know what if it, it's probably something he doesn't even consciously do, but he definitely looks like he's in the zone. Yeah, he. he uh, it's a funny thing you mentioned that because I have. Uh, uh, or have had over time a few friends that are drummers, and they do exactly the same thing. I think they're actually just mouthing out the beats that they're hitting. Like the, it's such a funny thing, and I've always yeah. noticed that about about uh, Steve. And he always had great drum heads. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I love the one that was like Gorman for strength. That was my, that was my favorite oh, one. Yeah, I like the Guinness thing. Oh yeah, that was a good one too. And 
Uh, and then, of course, you know, when they did the uh, acoustic tour, uh, he put on the marching band outfit and came out there, usually for hotel. Whenever I saw him, it was for hotel illness, and he had the bass drum strapped over his shoulder and, you know, was beating on that with the uh, with the uh, marching band hat on. I, I love that. It, he's just got such a, a great sense of humor and uh, a good personality. I just I can't help but think he was a lot of fun to be around during those years. Yeah, I can't wait to read that book that's coming out. It's going to be like I've got really high hopes for it, and I hope hope it delivers. Well, I have seen where you know Stephen Hayden uh, or is it Hayden? I never can pronounce his last name right. Uh, said that Gorman turned over like a thousand pages to him, and he has told people <laughs> that it's this it's really really good. Maybe I'm just that big of a nerd that I would just like to read all thousand pages like unedited. I don't <laughs> I don't care. I'm, I'm with you <laughs> on that one. I I'd think he was like the, uh, like the, uh, the, the in between guy between the two brothers. It seems like to me, like he was the uh, peacemaker between them. You know, like that was his role after a while, because they'd been together so long. You know, well, in a lot of interviews, he seems to identify early on with Chris how they had like the same sense of humor, and they saw things the same. And you know, I've heard him say we could be in a room and you know with other people, and then we knew exactly what the other one was thinking, but. Uh, uh, so that's interesting. I, you wonder if you, I don't know. I'm just going to reserve judgment. Till I see the book. I'm, I'm really excited about it, but kind of wonder the, the angle it's going to take on some things because, uh, I mean, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't say, I've never heard him say anything negative about rich or, you know, or Mark or any of the other guys. So it's going to be interesting to see. How could you say anything that. negative about Mark? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Was that, that you, Ian, that posted that picture on the in your site recently where they were Steve had posted them playing horseshoes or something? And I might have shared that. that, yeah. I thought that was such yeah. a cool picture, you know. Only was, only, I think, only Eddie Harsh could rock the jorts and nobody would say anything to him about them. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been really hot that day. All right, so um Dave, you obviously uh Southern Harmony played a uh, uh a big role in um you becoming a, a massive fan, uh, which, you know, for most people that was, well, for, I would say that's probably the most popular album amongst, you know, the diehard fans. But, um, what did you think, uh, when Amorca came out, what did you, what did you hear first from Amorca and what'd you think about it? Um, again, like I, I remember hearing wiser time a couple times, like, you know, I think it was, a it must've released it as a single and it got, you know, that was kind of at the phasing out of that type of music still being like, you know, on the top 40 here and there. And so I remember hearing Wiser Time a few times and, and really, really liking it. Like I lived, I grew up in a very rural northern Indiana. Like I remember in the summer just like cruising the country roads and, and hearing that. It's just such a great song to drive to. And then it's also got that extra you know, Amorica, you're bringing in now the, the percussion and things are a little funkier and and uh, got a little bit more of the groove and everything. And it just just was in my mind. I just I can remember just hearing it being like, you know, 17 years old and just cruising out in the country and just, you know, just wishing it would last forever. And uh, but I didn't like I I didn't really like I was really deep into like discovering like the stones and like Zeppelin and like going back and getting into old stuff at the time. I wish that I had embraced more and like I didn't, you know, it was before the internet and I didn't know about tour dates. And so I didn't really, um, 
I didn't get the chance to see them until the fall of 96. And I made one of the most short-sighted and stupid decisions in my life where they were playing a half an hour from my house on a Saturday night. And I had a friend whose parents were like out of town. And so we just decided to like drink warm beer in his basement instead because they were like 18, <laughs> 19 years old. And, you know, at the time, not knowing, you know, like later when I started trading shows and everything, like that fall of 96 tour is maybe my favorite tour that they ever did as far as like the, all the set lists and the shows. And so, you know, I really blew it on that one. Yeah, I, I did a very similar thing, Dave. I uh, I could have gone to Halloween '96 in uh, in New York here, and I just yeah, right. I, I don't even remember the reason why I didn't, but I I still to this you know, over 20 years later, I'm still kicking myself for that one. That was that, that was one they dressed up like Elvis, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think that the show I should have gone to was about two weeks before that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. any show on that run would have been something, you know. Yep. Yeah, and so I didn't actually, I didn't then I I didn't get to see them until uh, the first time was in the, the spring of '99, and they did a co-headlining tour with Lenny Kravitz. It was like at the height of his like American Woman, I Want to Fly Away thing, and so like he actually closed the show. So that was that was the first time I actually got to see him. And you know, of course, by then Mark was gone, and you know they were kind of in transition there, and so I really kicked myself for years that. Yeah, you know, I didn't didn't see some of those prime shows in like '96 and '97. That would be a good pairing, though. I think with Kravitz because at times he's a complete throwback to that time frame too, uh, and then other times he goes in another direction. But uh, that would that would have been fun. Did they? Does y'all, either one of y'all know if they like came out and jammed together or did any songs together on that I tour? Don't- it didn't want the show I saw, and I don't get the impression that there was much collaboration. I always thought that there was some sort of beef that, like, Chris would, like, take shots at Lenny Kravitz. And, and I think through the years, Chris has taken shots at just about everybody in the media. But um, I was thinking for some reason that they weren't super tight at the time. Am I, uh, am I correct in saying that around that time period, they kind of went back to the more static set lists? Like, they didn't vary it up yep. like they had been? Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. I think that I was going back through Crow's base, like kind of looking at all the set lists and trying to remember, jog, jog my memory of how many shows I went to and all that. And yeah, they were kind of just, it looked like they were playing like the same set almost every night, you know, one or two songs mixing up here and there. I think they were breaking in, um, you know, oddly. And um, I guess was it Sven playing bass at that point? They There was a lot of bass player turnover right around that time. So I can't remember exactly. I think it still was Sven. I mean, that's another tour I bypassed for what I think it might have been because, um, you know, you couldn't uh, you couldn't flip on a radio around that time and not hear uh, Fly Away or American. Right. I think I think I was trying to get away from that. So, you know, but yeah, uh, yeah I didn't see him on that one either. But uh, so that that Crow show that you went to with Kravitz, was it was it sold out or was it I was the attendant? Uh, and in my memory, it was in one of those like you know big like twenty five thousand seat outdoor amphitheaters. So it was definitely not sold out. But I mean, it, there was definitely I feel like it was a good crowd. But you know, it takes a pretty big. Neither of them were. I don't. I mean, Kravitz. I think at that point was probably at the more peak of his career. So you know, the, the Crows weren't quite drawing. I think as you know how they were five six years earlier. 
Well, I've got to think, Dave, if you're a huge 70s music fan, you had to really like it when they teamed up with uh, Jimmy Page. Oh, man. I remember just, you know, it was like Zeppelin was probably like my favorite band when I was like in, you know, 17, 18. And so I feel like that, yeah, when, when I heard that they were playing those shows with Page, it was like, it almost was like it validated that like, I always loved the Crows, and it's like if Jimmy Page is picking the Crows to play with them, like I mean, I'm I must be right, you know. Like I remember just like those in the very like early days of like when I could get an internet connection, and I can remember just trying to like find set lists and little clips of what they were doing, and you know, bought that that live at the Greek right when it came out, and then was lucky enough um, I went to the opening uh, show on that 2000 summer tour that they did with them um and just you know it's one of those things that i just i didn't know i had actually seen page and plant like two years earlier so i'd seen jimmy page one other time by then but i was so psyched for that show and it was at this giant amphitheater outside of chicago and it was just like it was a monsoon the whole day just rain and cold and just was not and we were like on the lawn you know so it wasn't ideal. And then we were supposed to see him again later that summer and had like eighth row tickets. And then that tour just kind of like mysteriously got canceled, which those are the sort of things I'm hoping that Gorman shed some light on the, you know, like I think they said like page got injured or something. And, but yeah, know, it was just, supposed to be a back injury or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I was so bummed to have like eighth row for that and, and then to have it get canceled. Well, Dave, what was your what was your opinion of that time frame, the By Your Side Lines era? Well, I feel like when By Your Side came out, I remember buying the CD and like listening to it a lot, and like me and my roommates in college and stuff. Um, my buddy Nick is a listener. Shout out to Nick. We were listening to By Your Side and stuff at the time, and I bought the. Did you ever see the box set that they had? It like looked like a little like lunchbox thing or something that had all the CDs. Was that yeah, the show enough? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I like bought that at about that time. And so, you know, I was, I was, I was into it. And, uh, you know, I haven't, I hardly ever listened to Lion or uh, By Your Side anymore. And then when I listened to you guys, your Lions episode, it reminded me of how I had a friend who had Napster at the time. And I remember downloading like the Lions tracks like two months before it came out somehow, you know, like, I don't know how that even ever happened back then. And so I was really psyched when Lions came out. And it was cool that you guys did that episode because I feel like I would kind of dismissed it. And it made me realize that I mean, there are some, some clunkers on there. But for the most part, you know, there's some pretty good stuff on there. It is definitely underappreciated. I get why, like, you know, I, I can understand why some folks ran away from that one. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, till the day I die, I will maintain that that album is a lot better than people give it credit for. Yeah, you it could, was definitely one of the most anticipated albums I've ever looked forward to. Like when it was coming out, like I was you know, really, really excited about it. Yeah, I can still remember buying that album and running to my car and driving around listening to it. Like, so Dave, at what point did you get into collecting shows and and, and things like that? I think it was right about right around then. I think it was in like two thousand two thousand one, and uh, and. Yeah, I jumped into the deep end in a hurry. Like, I feel like I have like B and P's and trades going like left and right. Like, you know, you know, pre Amazon days, like I had packages coming all the time. And 
and I just couldn't get enough of it. I loved, you know, just all the, the varying set lists and, and, you know, like, oh, did you hear the jam on, on this My Morning song from this show? And, like, how, like even when the, you know, the songs might look the same on the set list, there'd be little pieces of stuff and jams in there. And, and I think that during that time, that's what really uh, – the Crows were the gateway to me appreciating, um, like, jam bands. Like, that was, I, I didn't really – I don't know if I just didn't have the attention span before then, but like I wasn't really into the Grateful Dad or the Almond Brothers or that kind of stuff until I think that Rich and Mark's guitar interplay stuff really was what opened me up to to what that world was, and I've never I've, it made me want to learn. I, I started taking guitar lessons about that same time, and you know it really, really. They really inspired and, and moved me, and like just so greatly made me appreciate music in that way. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I feel that they kind of bridged this they, this you know like they were the bridge between straight ahead rock and the jam scene. Like they they kind of combined those two things because you know I uh, I had to say a similar experience to you. Like from because they did that kind of thing, I would seek out bands that were known to do a similar thing, and it was never quite the same. To me with a lot of them but uh they were they were very unique even in their attempt to uh to to flesh things out live and all that you know it was very very original did you guys trade a lot of shows to you around that time or later uh, on like, uh, that, that's when i was getting into it and getting involved on the message boards and i remember for, trying to for the longest time i couldn't understand what a bnp was you know people <laughs> just be like hey can you bnp me and i'm like i don't know what this is you know but it sounds great and then finally, you know, I figured it out. And then you had to find somebody that was, I felt like it was a club. And if you weren't in the club, people wouldn't, you know, wouldn't do it for you. Like I had the hardest time getting the band sessions. You know, I'm just basically on there begging and pleading with people. And then finally, the guy's like, yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. And, of course, it took him like three weeks, you know, and every day I'm going to the post, to the mailbox, thinking it's going to be there that day. And I finally got it, you know, and I'm like, Oh, here's Wyoming and me. It's all I've read about on the message boards, how great this is. Here's grinning, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, it was a lot of fun, and it was really exciting because you didn't have that. You didn't have YouTube. You didn't have the access to all this music. And so, uh, you know, if you went on Crow's Base and saw they played, for instance, they played a Neil Young song. They played Big Time. Oh, I bet that sounded awesome. How can I hear it? And so for a lot of times, those songs, the first time you hear them is when they – when you you know you got a bootleg of them yeah yeah that, that you're right you're so right how um you, know, you just had to have so much more imagination or you know, like thinking about how people would uh you know, write a paragraph description about how a song sounded and, and then you just waited for a few weeks for it to show up and you know now within 10 seconds you search for it and, and you can hear it and so i mean i'm i definitely appreciate the convenience of it but it is it is kind of a exciting how you had to really anticipate and, and build up of, of trying to build your collection um you remember any of like uh any standout shows that like when you first you know like a, a, i don't know about you but like i have like dates in my mind that i can't remember like relative birthdays but i can like remember dates of, uh, of crow shows on like blank cds yeah a lot of those shows in 96 and 97 were the ones that were really easy to get at that point uh, I, I have one I like. Uh, I think it's from like Darien Lake. It's only it's about seven or eight um, about seven or eight songs on it. But that those shows were the ones that seemed to be the easiest to get. And of course, about that time though, is when Lines came out and you had Buy the Crows, Get the Shows 
on the that came when you bought the uh, the CD, which was was really cool. And uh, that's why I, actually that was the first ones I got was I went on that website when Lines came out and and downloaded those. And then I started because uh, I'd done some tape trading for Widespread Panic before at that point and you know this honestly we're we're all three dating our date selves a little bit but this is when it became so easy to burn cds and you know cd burners were so readily available when i got into widespread panic in the mid 90s you know i went to this uh this place i went to old miss this place in oxford called uh oh I, now that i can't remember the name of it, it was kind of like a head shop and the guy had just you know tapes and tapes and tapes of widespread panic shows and had some grateful dead shows Local Color was the name of it. And uh, so I got into that, but I was never on like any widespread panic message boards or anything. So I didn't understand all the BNP lingo like we were talking about. But uh, And I remember being really excited when the Crows came out with that official, I guess it was what, 97? I mean, not 97, 2006, 2007, where you could go to the liveblackcrows.com and you could either buy the CD or download it. And uh, that's when I really started up in my, uh, up in my collection. Well, that was it was also a time period where uh, I think uh, and, uh, at least on I was 05 also, but I remember uh, seeing it in 06 on the summer tour, where you know they did the instant live thing where you could after the show you go to the front and they hit. Yeah, I did the same that 2006 tour where I I waited in line after the show and they you know walk out with the with the show right there. That was that was pretty high tech at the time. It, yeah, it was really cool when when they started the go to the show and after the show you could get uh you could get a download of the show they were really kind of one of the first bands that i remember doing that yeah i don't i don't that was i remember waiting and i went to a show in the summer of 06 where they opened with weight and guilty and, and played like uh got to get better in a little while and curly queen and uh you know just a lot of these obscure covers and i remember me and my buddy like having this long drive that we're gonna have to make back but we, we waited in line you know for like an hour to to get the show so we could listen to it again on the way home well that would have been uh that atlantis show i have that on um um uh, i actually i bought that one on the, on the download site is that right was they that, did was, that in a, this was in chicago oh, okay well they did kind of the same thing in atlanta they opened with waiting guilty and they did got to get better in a little while um yeah those were man i know a lot of people say 96 97 but 05 06 was really special too Definitely gave oh, no 96, 97 a run for its money. I'll tell you that. I, I totally, totally agree. I think that was part of the, the thing when they, you know, when they came back in '05 after the after being off for a few years. It was like since I missed the '96, '97 thing, it was like I was determined to see as many shows as I could because you know I just you didn't know that you were ever going to get that chance again. And, and I like you know they they really brought it. I think it also brought back the um, set list that, that they covered songs that made you go looking for those bands again. Because that's what happened. 96, 97, when I listened to those shows, I would say, oh, here's something I never heard before. What's this band all about? And I'd go and buy their records. And, and 05, 06 is when that started up with them again for me. I, I, I got, you know, even bands I knew, they would, they would play songs I, I wasn't too familiar with. And that, I, that would cause me to dig deeper. I've always been... Uh, grateful to them for for doing that i owe like 75 percent of my collection to to the black girls you know totally agree like i you know listen to your guys episode you know about covers and like i'm i'm in the same boat like you know i i wrote i've just i went down so many uh 
they, they turned me on to so many things. Like they, they, it's not just that they played these iconic, you know, cover songs, but they would play these, you know, they were pretty slightly obscure. Like one that came to mind to me, I was, as I was going to this is, uh, they played a uh, song of love a lot in 2005. The, and then that got me to, then I went and listened to the Manassas, even stills album. And like, that's one of my favorite albums, like top to bottom now. And like, I don't know if I would have ever heard that. Me too, man. And I was a big Crosby, Stills, and Nash fan, and I didn't know about the Manassas album until they played that. And I, 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 uh, you're going to a desert island, you can take 10 albums with you. That would be one of those 10, you know? <laughs> yes, that's awesome. I, I, that's one that I feel like that I bring up and like people look at me like they have no idea what I'm talking about. So right on for Manassas love. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of your favorite covers? We, I mean, we, you heard some of ours last uh, week. What, what are some of yours? Oh, man, like a lot of what you guys, you know, were talking about, I'm on the same boat. Like, you know, like I knew like, like all the Neil songs that everybody knows, but like when they played like, come on, baby, let's go downtown, like in 96, 97, then that led me, I had never, that got me to get to next night. Um, and then, you know, like you, I think you mentioned Ian LA, like that was another one that I feel like the curls just absolutely took to a whole different level. And then I think both mentioned too, like the Graham Parsons and Flying Burrito Brothers stuff I'd never had heard before. And like, I've been into them even lately, just like as much as ever. Like I can't get enough of, uh, of some of the, the Graham Parsons stuff. And, um, and then like, like Space Captain, like then I you know learned about Leon Russell and went down that trail for a while. And um, those are some of them, you know, off the top of my head. Are you an appreciator of uh, Leon Russell? Oh yeah, definitely. That's one, um, like the whole Mad Dogs and Englishman tour with Cocker, and then his some of his his solo albums that are like in the early and mid seventies are all outstanding. And it's got like a triple live vinyl album that I found at a vintage store recently, and you know it's just uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, I mean he has a run in the uh, in the early early to mid seventies that uh, rivals any band's best run as far as I'm concerned. I'm with you. I just somehow recently have picked up some of his solo albums where he's doing some like, you know, Dylan covers a lot and some Beatles covers and um, man, and then his own songs are just phenomenal. So it's really cool years later to still be, you know, chasing that, that trail that the Crows kind of kicked off with, with Space Captain. Like Space Captain, when they came back in 05, felt like this, you know, like uh, this get together. It was like a was the positivity of, of everything coming back. And I feel like that, that song really represented that time of, of uh, you know, coming back together and the hand claps and Ed on the piano and, you know, just was good times. I was about Definitely to say, I was about to say the, um, that was one of the, the great songs for Ed to play where he really got to shine and, and, and show off. And uh, I'd never heard of the song. And I guess the first time I saw it would have probably been on the freaking roll DVD and, went uh and i was like who is this and see joe cocker and uh went and got actually got mad dog you know the mad dog was it called mad dogs and englishman is that I, that's the name of the yes, album sir. right yeah and that you know they played they played a couple of songs off of that uh, at various points during their career and that was another thing that kind of opened me up to that period of of joe cocker and you know like you said leon russell's playing on it and you know it's a really good band he had uh one of the bands that they really opened my eyes to was little feet with uh you know willin and uh they did roll em, would do roll em easy and uh oh atlanta a time or two 
and they're just one of the great unsung American bands as well. But that's that's one of the great things about the Crows. They just turn you on to so, so many good songs, and they always did the covers justice. Like they never. I don't know if this is going to make any sense. They didn't really change it up, but it still sounded like the Black Crows on their um, on a lot of those covers, and just sounded so so good. Uh, those Stone songs, uh, I really got. You know, I've talked in the last episode. They really got me into uh, Torn and Frayed a lot at uh, yeah. at that time frame because uh, you know I'm familiar with the hits of the Stones, but not uh, Exile on Main Street. And Dave, I know you're a big Stones fan. You and I have talked before about being um, fans of um, like the Goathead Soup album, and um, you know Rich yeah. has, Rich has done some of those songs, and they did Silver. They used to do Silver Train, somewhat, maybe a couple of times a tour. Uh, that's another yep. rare Stone song that they covered. Yeah, you're right. That, that's that was one I was when you said Goat's Head Soup. That's what I was thinking that they they slipped that in there. I think in '96 a few times and. Uh, Going back to the 05, 06 thing, were you guys into uh, like, like the the faces and like Ron Wood and stuff? Like when they played Cancel Everything and Glad and Sorry and that kind of stuff. Yes, I uh, I was a I always was a big fan um, of the faces. Uh, you know, particularly uh, you know Ronnie and uh, Rod Stewart who's singing. I mean, uh, Rod Stewart's one of one of those guys. Is there's about there's like three or four guys from you know the early 70s period that if you mention them now people are like oh geez how could you listen to that and they were so fantastic you know back in those days with the you know, it was like rod stewart joe cocker actually is one of them and i uh, one came to mind the other day but i can't remember who i was thinking i know i know my wife when i first told her like you know like elton john like like all she knew him from was like the disney movies and then like like tumbleweed connection it's like oh okay Yes, that is his best album too, and I, I try to tell people that I say, you know, listen to this one, and you know, and then you'll tell me, tell me what you think after that. But yeah, yeah I was no, no. I was a big fan of the faces. And then I don't know if like some of those obscure like Ron Wood had some. I think that cancel everything was on his first solo album, and I was really and so like that was just one that like was like oh yeah like I don't, I've always loved that song and like. If Mark Ford is singing that, then like I must, my taste must be all right. It's like it validated it. <laughs> yeah, they do make you feel good about your collection, you know. Kinda, yeah. But do you guys get tired of the constant faces comparison with them? Because it just it drives me up the wall. I I guess I mean I get where you know like lazy reviews in like 1991. I can see where it came from, but I feel like after Southern Harmony came out, if people were still saying that, they just were not really paying attention so i don't I, it doesn't really hold much validity to me yeah I, I absolutely agree i think okay like when they when they first came around um and you know especially that first tour i could see where you could you could draw a comparison especially chris chris kind of did sing things and do things in the style of like that early faces rod stewart but uh, you know it's like you said dave once you get to southern harmony i mean they were there they were their own band at that point, and anybody that uh, still drew comparisons to the to their influences, you know, wasn't listening properly, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't hear a lot of faces on Three Snakes. <laughs> no, no, that that was long gone from then. Yeah, I don't hear a lot of any influence on Three Snakes. That really, that's their own sound entirely. I think. Dave, did so you, did, you get, did you get to see them any on the Oasis tour? I did. 
I did. I saw them twice on that tour. Um, I got the the first one of them. I saw they play. They did the uh, encore was "Can't You Hear Me Knocking" to go back to your Stones thing, where nice. where Noel came out and played it with them. And I think it was when I went back on Crow's Base. It said it was the first time that they played it. And speaking of Tall Tales, since that's the name of the show, my friend and I apparently didn't we were just texting about this it was like did we not have a budget for like a 40 dollar hotel room because the show was outside of cleveland in cuyahoga falls and we drove back like four and a half hours after the show like <laughs> don't know and i was like in my early 20s i guess but like man like i don't know how in the world i did that then but drove you know drove drove there the day of went to the show drove back that same night like man, I do not have that kind of energy anymore. Now you do that stuff in your uh, in your late teens and early twenties. You're like, yeah, sure, <laughs> seven hours. Let's take a road trip. It's a big deal. And now <laughs> now I'm like, the hotel's got to be directly across the street from the venue. You know? Right. <laughs> you know. No. <laughs> I've got to I've got to get I've got to get home and, and you know get to bed so I can you know get my eight hours of sleep. Oh oh, what we used to do when we were young and didn't have responsibilities. Yes, I know. I'd, I'd hate to think if I even like, did I just like go up and work the next morning too? Like, I, I don't know how, I'm not really sure how that worked, but, but that was the really, and then I saw him again, like a week after that in the front row in, uh, at Deer Creek, which is out, it's a big amphitheater outside of Indianapolis and right in the front row and my ears rang like they've never rang at a show before. I was right in front of Rich and it was insanely loud. Oh yeah. <laughs> did the Crows closed both of those shows uh yep they did yeah and and i was i was a casual oasis fan like for, for whatever reason i wasn't a huge oasis fan even though like when i was in high school it's kind of corresponding with their their biggest height of their fame but for whatever reason i was more into looking back at that point but i'm really glad that i got to see some shows because since then i've come to really you know appreciate oasis and i've gotten into them a lot more too yeah, they're a top ten band for me. I, yeah, I know I, you're you're a huge fan. I love them. I saw them actually saw them uh, would have been I guess in o two or o three at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, and uh, it was like the first week of August. It's the hottest I think I've ever been in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> crammed in to the Tabernacle. I mean, and it was crammed, and so many of the people that were in there were from England. And yeah. uh, they had all the, you know, the soccer flags and they, they, uh, they came on really late and they only came out after the crowd started doing the LA soccer chant and uh, they finally came out. But I mean, it had to have been 130 degrees and, you know, in August in Atlanta, you're, you're, sure. you're screwed anyway and you're packed in there like sardines. But uh, that was a, I didn't get a chance to see that tour. I really wish I would have, but, but going forward a little bit, I'm sure you were like me and Ian in 2005 there were the rumors that the band was getting back together, and then they put those shows up for sale uh, in New York, and they st- started adding shows, but nobody really knew for sure who was going to be there. And I can't remember if it was the day before or the day of, you know, it came out, re- became well known that it was Ford. And I'm sure you were just like me and Ian, just excited because the three of none of us got to see the classic Ford era. You know, with Colt and, and, and him in the band. Uh, talk about how excited you were when you found out, excuse me, that he was back in the band and just what that tour in 0506 meant to you. The way I remember hearing about it for, you know, like being that it was 
like, you know, that they were, those shows were booked and there was, I don't know how that they kept it under wraps because you really didn't know for sure. It was all rumor. And then I remember on the old blackcrows.net board, the way I remember it is somebody just simply like made a post and just said, it's Ford. Yes. That's right. Yes. You, you remember that? <laughs> and that became like, like a catchphrase for a while, you know? You're right. That kind of like carried on for the 05, 06. Was like, it's, like, that would have been a cool t-shirt to if somebody would have thought to sell that at the shows. Um, but yeah, so I just remember that spring just being like, you know, they, they were too, they weren't coming around my area too close and until the weird, the very first time that I got to see Ford with, with the crows was at the Indianapolis 500. They have this thing called carb day, like the two days before the race. And it's like, everybody gets in free. Everybody can bring in, beer and coolers and everything and then after the the cars all practice out in this giant field they have a concert every year and the crows were the concert and so um that was the first time i i got to see uh the crows with ford and like like memorial day weekend of 2005 and it it wasn't a great like it was kind of they just kind of came out and played like a festival greatest hits set list for like an hour and kind of wet the appetite but then, if you remember, they kind of after that they they opened for uh, Tom Petty a lot that summer, and I was yes. able to see a show on that tour. Were you, is that when were you guys able to check that one out with Petty? Yeah, no, I didn't. Oh um, five, I think the only I I did the uh, I was able to go to those original. If you, if you remember, it was in a, like maybe like a week's worth of shows in New York, and that was all that was initially booked. I was able to go to that. And then um, I don't think I came back around again until uh, 06. So was that Ian? Was, so like being there in New York, you know, like a week into this new thing, was there like this, was there a pretty big camaraderie of like hardcore fans just like couldn't believe how lucky they were to be seeing this? Or uh, what do you remember from that? Yeah, I mean, anybody that uh, I knew from the area, from, you know, message boards over the years, I ended up bumping into. And, um, you know, I got there super early and i was right up uh on the rail and i i stood in my spot that now has become the spot i always go to which is rich's side and um it, it was great i mean that, that was such a there was such an energy in that room and such an excitement for them to come back i mean it's it's no surprise to me that they ended up booking a, to- a full tour right after that when they came out were you like who's this on drums that's right i totally forgot it was bill de brown yeah. That's right, because he didn't come. Steve didn't come back till what was it about May or so? Like it was, in, Atl- uh, it was Atlanta, I think. Yeah, yeah I think it was in early May at the Tabernacle. I remember having getting those shows on Instant Live. I think that might have been right when they first started doing that. Yeah, I mean, you could see that was the one thing that might have like slightly taken away from things from time to time is you, you could see Bill DeBrow was struggling, and maybe he didn't have enough rehearsal time, or or maybe he just you know, I mean, Steve's shoes are big shoes to fill, so. But, uh, you know, I think and I think they would get frustrated with him a little bit. So, uh, you know, I, I but I was glad ultimately that Steve came back. Nothing against Bill DeBrow, of course. Yeah. Did, did you feel was there like a little bit like, you know, like ever you know, being there the first week they were back? Like, obviously, people were psyched. It was there still kind of like, a, ah, it's just not quite like like there's something missing. Or do you think that it was just like Ford's back, like the band's back like we'll we'll take whatever drummer we can get or do you think there was still like a oh man this is great but man we wish steve was here 
Yeah, it was kind of like bittersweet in a way because obviously everybody was very excited that Mark Ford was back, but it, it kind of was detracted from by the fact that Steve wasn't there, you know, because you know what an essential part of the of the whole thing Steve is, you know. Yeah. You know, other than other than that, you know, you still couldn't hose down that excitement, you know, that Mark was there. I mean, that was a big, big draw. I don't I think because I, I've heard that Mark wasn't their first choice for that for that uh, reunion run. And uh, I think if it hadn't been Mark, it, it would have worked out very differently. Who could, yeah, who, who could it have possibly been? I remember hearing that Neil Casal yes. was was the one that was kind of picked, which I guess the fact that he's been with Chris now for about six or seven years lends, probably lends a lot more, you know, truth to that to that rumor i've never heard anybody come out and say because they uh, when i saw the crows for the first time beachwood sparks was opening for them and he was in the band yeah i saw that tour too um and i I remember hearing the same the same rumor so i wonder if you know he and chris must have been close but yeah it's hard to picture how that how different that would have been because i Um, love i love neil's playing like i think what he brought to ryan adams when he was in the cardinals was just amazing and i saw actually uh dave i saw the last ever ron adams and the cardinal show at the fox theater in atlanta and uh i think i had like second row seats it's the second best concert i've ever been to and he just added so much to to ron's playing and he does a great job with chris but i just not real sure how he would have fit in in that in that lead guitar role with the crows I'm with you. I've got total. I love Neil's playing too, and I I saw a show with with Ryan Adams and the Cardinals. I think it was in 2007, and it stands out as one of the best concerts I've ever seen too. So I total totally with you there. But it's just you know when you're you know when you're near the Crows and, and you had a chance to get Mark, it's just hard to believe that they you know that there was ever any other second choice. Ian, have you heard who it possibly could have been other than Neil? No, that was the the name that came up uh, in anything I heard was Neil, and um, I didn't really know him at the time, um, and I forget that he was with Ryan Adams. So, but uh, and he's a fantastic player, but I don't, I don't I think I think it would have been very different. So, uh, Dave, when we when I told you asked you to come on the show, I said uh, pick a show that uh, that really stood out to you and was kind of special to you, and we'll we'll go over it a little bit and. You gave us a show from, uh, it was when they had a night off from the Petty Tour. Let's see, July the 26th, 2005, Promo West at Columbus, in Columbus, Ohio. So that's the, that's the show that you kind of wanted to talk about. Uh, why don't you kind of go into what it was like there that day and, and why the show means so much to you? Yeah, well... Um, you know, like I said, I'd, I'd seen them at the festival thing at the Indy 500. And then I saw them open for Petty, and you know, it was it was awesome. I'm a huge Petty fan, and you know, and, and the Crows like they opened with "Don't Do It" and "Feathers," and kind of got a little bit of a taste. But it was like, you know, after trading these shows all these years, like I wanted to see a full band, you know, full good two hour plus show. And so um, they had this night off on the Petty tour. Um, and they had this show booked in Columbus. And so, um, you know, my, my friend Nick and I made the, made the drive over and, you know, didn't really know what to expect because they, you know, they'd pretty much been playing with Petty, I think for about a month straight. So he didn't really know what the format was going to be or anything. And it was 
it was crazy hot midwestern thunderstorms all day and they they moved it indoors it was supposed to it's, this was a venue where they had an outdoor spot and then also a uh, an indoor more like a club sort of setting like it's not very big i got to think it couldn't have held more than maybe 1500 people and so like you know just we got there super early and just remember just thinking like i like are they going to just like plow through some greatest hits and like just having, I think what makes it special is you just had no idea like what to expect. Like, like when you traded shows through the years, there was like, did either of you uh, have like the supper club shows from the summer of 96? Yes. Those were like amongst the holy grails of the, in the trading circles, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. Right. Cause they, and they kind of did like some acoustic stuff and like just a lot of, you know, just, they were kind of just one off. They were, you know, like you just kind of felt like if you were there, you were in the right place at the right time. So I feel like that. And so this night, I feel like it was, it ended up being kind of one of those where um, they ended up, um, I know you guys did a show about, about, you know, your favorite openers. And so, you know, just that anticipation of not knowing where it's going to go. And so they, they opened with another roadside tragedy. And it was just sort of like, you look at each other and you're like, all right, like this is going to be good. Like, you know, like, <laughs> You're, they're they're uh, they're bringing it when when you start with that, um, you know. Just and that was always one of my favorite. You know, like from the bootlegs, they played that a lot on that further tour. And I collected a lot of those shows and loved the the guitar interplay that they do on the jams and all that. And so I feel like that was just sort of like the way that it sort of like it felt like after collecting all those shows and like here we like i finally was there and they were opening with the show and it felt like i got my like hand stamped into the into the real club at that point with the mark ford era yeah and the song that's always number two sting me uh came next when i when i look at it one of the things that if i was looking at this set list that would excite me is you got to see mark play soul singing and lay it all on me two of the standout tracks from lions no, you're right. Cause, yeah, those were that's a good point because like you wondered what he would add to some of those like you know, you know some of those those songs that he wasn't around for and and they were you know phenomenal. Not to mention you know I know David, you're a big girl from a pawn shop fan and he was all over that and and she gave good sunflower is one of my all time favorites as far as like you know to get a, a full Mark Ford set and to get roadside tragedy. Soul singing, pawn shop, sunflower, all in the first set. You're like, all right, I think we're, you know, it just was, it, it scratched the itch. And then, and then the anticipation, you didn't know. They, they just said, you know, they took a break and they're like, we're going to be back in a little bit. And then they, you know, you just, it wasn't, they didn't announce they were playing two sets. You had no idea where this was going. And then, and then with, when Mark and Rich come out and they open set two acoustic with, Sunday night buttermilk waltz again. It was just sort of like, uh, like I just you know never thought I was going to see that. Yeah, I mean, one thing that stands out on uh, in that second set for me is uh, you got a first time played there. You got uh, the cover of "You Don't Miss Your Water," which is a fantastic song. And I'm certain I had no idea what it was at the time either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just this this slow country Chris ballad and. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what it was. I've come to appreciate it now, but at the time, you know, I had no idea what that was. And, yeah, and then, I've uh, always, I've always yeah. loved that tune. Yes, yeah, see, I didn't. I, did, would you have known it at the time, or was that one that you picked up from them doing it? Actually, that one is. Uh, I 
I picked up. I've always been a big Birds fan, and the Birds did that one. Um, okay. I don't think it's a Birds song, um, but uh, they they did it. So I knew it from them. I, I've always. It is. You're right. It's one of those old timey like uh, country type ballads. I, I I always liked it. You know. Which I think. I mean, I love when Chris. I feel like that that is some of my favorite. Like you know, it accentuates his voice. I feel like when he does the style of song. So I'm 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 a big fan. Yeah. yeah, no, it definitely uh, showcases his his style there. Sure. When I look at it, I, I I go down a few songs and I see one of my favorite combos, and it used to have ballad into um, into Wiser, uh, share the ride into mellow down easy. Man, it just does not get much better uh, to me than that, especially on mellow mellow down easy when they just tear into it and you get Chris on the harmonica, which is one of my favorite things to see. I don't think he plays the harmonica enough. That's a really good point because I feel like sometimes when I just see that on the set list, it kind of isn't maybe one of my favorite songs. It's just kind of like a regular blues throwaway song. But that's one when you're in the room, like it's it's a whole different thing. Like you said, with the, the harmonica and, and the jam, and, you know, the, the energy of it and everything, it doesn't necessarily translate to just seeing it on a on a on paper or on a screen on a set list. It actually looks like in this instance, because I'm with you, David. I uh, I think that that uh, share the ride, mellow down easy, that that uh, one two punch is, is is always fantastic in a set list. But in this case, it looks like also to uh, downtown money waster was first. So it's actually a a triple a triple threat there, which is it seems very interesting. Um, that must have been one hell of a run. Yeah, no doubt. I, I mean, yeah, just it was like you said, just to, to I love it when. Uh, I think that was the first time, you know, like when they do the little, uh, the little arrows to show, you know, that it seeks from one song to the next, and that was a uh, that was like kind of learning the sign language of Grateful Dead set lists that I learned <laughs> later on. That like I never, you know, like when you'd see that when you were doing B and P's when you were first learning, you're like, what does that mean? And then like, oh, it's, I see. And then you'd have to make sure that when you did the tape, the CD trading, that they burnt the disc, um, you know, disc it once instead of track at once remember when there's yes. like a big gap in between and kind of be annoying there'd be this little two second you know delay in there it, that would be so i oh that's so funny that you bring that up because that was <laughs> as a tape uh taping trading person that, that's oh it was such a disappointment when you would get one that was accidentally done that way it was such a letdown yeah i think there was just like one little thing on your cd burner you'd have to tick a little box or else yeah. you wouldn't do it that way you realize you guys are talking about first world problems I know, I know, I know. Totally. Well, the the set the set closes with uh, uh, "Jealous Again," which is one of the quote unquote hits that I honestly don't get tired of hearing. uh, Into "Hard to Handle," I've never just been a huge "Hard to Handle" fan, but it's it's always a fun one for the crowd to hear. And uh, you know, going from "Jealous Again" to "Hard to Handle," that's you you could have worse ways to end a set. And then you go into uh, your encore. With happy, I'm assuming Mark saying at least one verse of that. Am I correct? Yeah, they did the thing where they each sang a verse and you know played it about double time. And uh, it sounds I don't I always like I always picture like when they do happy as the encore that like the venue's telling them like you've got like two and a half minutes like get out there and let it rip because they they came out and just I feel like they play it really fast and it's like. You know, maybe they're up against curfew or something, but um, but it was just you know just a good good time, you know way to way to go out on an upbeat note. Um, 
I had a thought. Too. Have you ever on on the hard to handle? Did you ever hear any of those on the further tour where they kind of would do this real slow build? Yes. Um, kind of. Yeah. Those. See that. I, I'm the same with you. Like hard to handle. I could kind of take it or leave it. But on that further tour, the way they would do that, that gave me a whole new appreciation of. Uh, there was one show I think from I think June 22nd of '97. They open with it, and it's just this real slow burn, and there's just amazing guitar work on that and you know, it's like a 10 12 minute opener that's actually the only way uh i personally can still listen to hard to handle from them anyway and yeah uh, there was a definite kind of uh you're right they kind of slowed it down slightly and there's just like a swagger to it that's not present on the you know the original album version you know i think they were going for that's how uh, when the dead did it early on with like pig pen doing it it was more of that i think that they were kind of going for that feel Oh, is that right? I've never actually uh, heard the Dead uh, do that one. That's that's interesting. Yeah, if you hear like a Grateful Dead show from like 1969 or 70, I feel like you'll you'll see maybe where the crows got the idea to do it that way. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to check that out. And I see where Mofro opened for them um, that show. That would have had to been very early on in their career. Yeah, they at the time I saw Mofro several times during that era. Like they would, they, I saw them with North Mississippi All Stars a few times, and they're like a whole different. It was before they had horns, and like they were, they had like a guy who played like a lot of like uh, like slide guitar and stuff, and it was more of like a swampy blues thing. Whereas like, which it was great, but I've seen them here recently, and they're more like a R and B kind of soul review band yeah. now. Which is great. I, I love them. Yeah, they they have a, a. Have you heard their version of Tupelo Honey? You know, I don't know if I have the Van Morrison. Yeah, song. it's on there. I think they have an album called Choice Cut. It's supposed to be like a greatest hits. Yada, if anybody out there is listening, you want to hear it. That that is that's a, that's one of my all time favorite covers uh, that anybody's done. They just do uh, a great. I job. I can imagine JJ singing the heck out of that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that definitely sounds great. I mean, you know, you can't go wrong with uh, Tupelo Honey to start with, and uh, that's cool. I'm going to check that out myself. Thanks, David. Yeah, hey, no problem. <laughs> hey, Dave, so um, this kind of, I think, will be a good stopping point for us uh, because this is the end of the 05 tour. And uh, yeah. I tell you what we can do is have you back on, and we can pick up uh, with Warpaint and go through that with you. I uh, really like the insight that you've given us on all this. Uh, I've, it's been very interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, guys. Like, it's been really cool that you guys have started this up, and you know, like, there's so much music out there, as you know, and kind of, I can, I, I get away from Crow's stuff, but but since you guys asked me to do this, and I've been listening to your podcast, it's made me go back and dig out some of my CDs and see if they still work in my car driving around, and um, yeah, I've just been digging through some of these old Crow shows on you know on YouTube and stuff, and so. It, it just kind of rekindled my, my love of the music and everything. So I'm um, glad you guys are glad you guys are doing what you're doing. Appreciate it. All well, right. thank you for being our uh, our first official guest. It's it's been great. It's been All right, great Dave. Anytime. All right, Dave. So what we're gonna do? It's kind of like on my other podcast. Ian and I are gonna give you. We're just Ian. And I was gonna ask Ian. I'm gonna ask a question. Ian's gonna ask one. We're gonna go back and forth three or four times. Uh, rapid fire question. Uh, just the first thing that pops in your mind. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll go first. What's your favorite black crow song? Um, wiser time. What's your favorite Rick Robinson riff? <laughs> uh, I guess on the spot, 
I'm going to say my morning song, like with the slide. What is your favorite cover that the Black Crows play? Oh, man. Um, I mean, you could ask me any day, but I feel like I'm going to say, just because I'm looking at it on a piece of paper, but I'm going to take a real curveball and say Hot Burrito number two. Who's your uh, favorite opening act that you saw open for the Black Crows? I'm going to say the drive-by truckers. The only time I ever saw them with Jason Isabel was on that 2006 tour. All right, and the last one. What is your favorite era of the Black Crows that does not include Mark Ford? <laughs> um, I'm going to say probably the Cabin Fever. Um, is that 2009, 10 or so with Luther? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think, that, I think I would go there. Very all, cool. All right, Dave, you, you passed with flying colors. We'll have you back at some point. <laughs> I'm not usually very good on the spot with this stuff either. I like I don't like being backed in a corner and having to have my answers on tape. <laughs> well, Ian, uh, it went really well, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. This has been great, great. So if you're listening out there and, and you think you could uh, could do this uh, pretty well, uh, send us an email or, or message us, and we'll try to add you to the list uh, down the road. And if you uh, have a topic that you would like to specifically discuss, put that in there. That may help you get selected uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, Dave, my friend, it's always fun to talk music with you. Uh, you uh, you've opened my eyes up to some more Neil Young, so I'm, I'm thankful uh, for that. I actually uh, went and bought, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Zuma that I got because oh, of yeah. uh, talking to you and i'm going to get tuscaloosa on vinyl so dave uh once again thank you and as you know on this podcast we like to have somebody give us some music to play out so i'm going to throw it to you and you tell us what you want to hear and that's going to be our playout music yeah i think um if we're going to go from this show we were talking about let's go with uh with another roadside tragedy just from from that it was just uh, felt like that was uh, like I said that was validation to to have that as the opener that knew you were in for a good ride. All right, everybody, another roadside tragedy from the show in Columbus uh, off the band sessions. But Ian is going to do the live version actually from this show. Thank you for listening and stay tall.